Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I am so excited to welcome Kelly Marie Tran to the show to celebrate Raya and also all of your wonderful accomplishments because preparing for this interview, it's just like one incredible thing after the next. It was just such a joy to rewatch so much of your work. Oh my gosh, thanks for saying that. <laughs> I truly mean it. So before we jump into any titles here though, I must introduce you to our lovely Ladies Night Dice Tower. Even yes. though we have some time right now, this keeps me in check. I come up with eight questions, roll the die three times, and whatever I roll, that's what we ask to start. Great, going with number one here. We've got a number seven. Seven is... Ooh, this is a fun one. Movie musicals. You can, your, your miscast performance was incredible. I can't get enough of it. Oh my gosh. If you ever got the chance to do another one, what song would you pick and why? Okay. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for watching that. Um, I'm such a huge musical theater nerd. So to be asked to be part of miscast was such a big deal for me. Um, and I love Book of Mormon, so I'm really, I was just so happy to, to be able to do that. If I could choose anything else, I'm dying to be Gavroche in Les Mis. Ooh. Do you know Gavroche? I, I do. I'm yeah. very, I like, I feel like I could hear it right now. He's like the little kid and he's like, when uh, little yes. people know, when little people fight. <laughs> yeah, that guy. I want to be that guy. Do they, do they bring people back for more? I feel like we need to make this happen now. I have no idea. <laughs> We're manifesting it in the process. Yeah, manifest it. <laughs> All right. Roll number two for you is number three. Ah, never again. What is something you did for a role that makes you say, I'm so glad I did that, but never, ever again? Ooh, man, I really don't have that many regrets. When I, I, I tend to overcommit, as you can tell by my, my miscast video, um, but I... I don't really have any regrets yet, uh, knock on wood. That's it's very cool to be able to say, um, but yeah. <laughs> that is, I like that answer. All right, we got one more here. 
Number six. Number six is last step. What is the very last thing that you absolutely have to do before you hit the set to shoot a big scene? Oh my gosh. I like to take a quiet moment myself and remind myself that I'm doing something that I once thought was impossible and that I need to celebrate the fact that I am uh, living a miraculous, magical existence. Um, but yeah, that is what I always do right before I step on a set. That is a lovely pep talk that I should probably give myself before every single thing I do, and then it would be even better. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're rolling into the beginning here. I'm gonna start with your uh, your sketch comedy. Is there anything about kind of getting your start in the sketch comedy and improv scene that now looking back makes you say, I'm so glad that that was the beginning. That's what my foundation was. Yes, um, I, I mean, my sketch comedy improv background has been everything to me. I think the the biggest thing is just the sort of community around, um, you know, I was doing indie improv shows in like tiny theaters in LA with other improvisers and they all became my best friends. And there's this, you know, this very, uh, the first rule you learn about in improv is just yes anding and making sure that you're not turning down someone else's ideas and that you are always adding to something and creating something together. That to me is something I want to take with me always and forever um, because it's such a good way to look at the creative process. Yet another thing that I kind of want to back pocket and, and morph <laughs> into what I do on my side of the industry. All right, taking a step into Star Wars land right now. I want to know about the audition process because I was recently talking to a couple people who are involved in the MCU. And I know with big franchises like that, there's tons of secrecy. So when you do your very, very first audition for Rose, do you have any idea what you're auditioning for, who she is, or are they essentially giving you these random sides where you can't connect the dots between that material and the project you're actually going for? Yeah. So <laughs> I remember getting an email just like you normally would for an audition. Um, but the email said the project was the untitled Ryan Johnson project, which after a little bit of light Googling, it was pretty clear that he was doing episode eight. Um, that being said, the, we didn't get sides repair. It was all like, we, they wouldn't even let you have them. So we would get to the audition and then you would be given these sides that were printed on red paper so that you wouldn't take them with you. <laughs> and it was essentially a cold read was the first audition. Um, and I remember like the character description said like twenties, female, character -y, and that was it. Like you didn't really know anything about it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was wild. I will say the best thing that I did was probably just try as much as possible to be present in the moment and and pay attention to what the scene was about as opposed to trying to act a genre or, or play to a specific uh, universe, if that makes sense. Do you remember what the cold read was? Is there anything about that that we can now see in the final ro rose in Last Jedi? Um, there were two scenes, and one of them was a scene between myself and John Boyega, Finn. Um, and it was, it's like the casino scene when we're, we're sort of looking for the master code breaker. And then this, the sort of monologue scene where Rose is talking about um, wanting to put her fist through this like lousy, beautiful town. That was, those were the two scenes. 
I love that line. I did have one other question, but now that you brought up Canto Bite, I do want to ask about that because I have become a very big believer that that sequence does not get the credit it deserves. And what it does for, I don't know, showing a dreamlike place and then showing the corruption and greed that really exists within it is just, it's so touching and meaningful. So let's go, let's go with a two-parter here. I'm not going to overwhelm you. I'll give you one at a time. First, do you think that scene was, I don't know, maybe misunderstood and deserves more credit than it actually got? I love that scene. I mean, I'm biased, so I guess I can say that. But yeah, and it's weird when you're in a movie and then you sort of, you know, once the movie goes out into the world, your experience with you know, when I watched that movie, it's like, I remember how I felt that day. I remember John and I walking on set and being like, this is the biggest set we'll ever be on and seeing all of the creatures moving and being part of this universe. Like these are the things I remember about being on set that day. Um, I think, like you said, that does a lot for, um, yeah, really recognizing how certain communities who are able to enjoy their privilege live in a world where they don't even have to address some of the horrible things other people are, are dealing with. I, I love that scene. So Now I want to focus specifically on, I guess it's kind of like a monologue that you deliver to Finn in the movie where you know, it's, a, it's essentially a whole lot of exposition where you're explaining Rose's past to him and it is so incredibly heartfelt. So what would you say is the key to delivering information like that? You know, clearly delivering your lines as you need to, but making sure that the audience is engaging with it and feeling what Rose experienced, which I think you very much accomplish. Oh, thanks for saying that. Um, I think for me, I really try not to think about the audience at all. I try to think about where that character is and what they're actually feeling. And, and so much of Rose in that moment, so much of the things that she said, I remember getting those sides and, and reading that, you know, reading those sides and, and working on it. And I was like, I feel like this character is inside of me because so much of my upbringing was that, you know, my parents are also from a war-torn country. My, they had to leave their home in order to escape it. I, we lived in a world where we lived in a, a pretty well-off community, but it was because my parents saved every penny and we never went on vacation and they never bought clothes so that we could go move to an area that had good public schools. So to be able to exist in a community where I think people weren't really aware of the struggles that it took other people to even exist. Um, yeah, I relate to that. And I think that um, for that moment, and for me, just as an actor in general, I never want to think about how I'm affecting the audience. I always want to think about what is this person really feeling in this moment and be really specific and, and really uh, understand, I guess, that part of human existence. And I think that if you can do that, if you can, as much as possible, just be honest and be okay with being seen, even if it's scary, then I think uh, people understand that and are able to um, relate to that. Um, yeah. Very successful in that department. We got one more last Jedi question for you because I think the world of Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman. So I want to know what it was like working on set with them kind of as a duo. What do they do together on set that you just wish you saw on more sets out there? Yes, I, I, they are the best people in the entire world. Um, and I just think that they work so well together. They've worked together for so long and 
the best thing is going on set and feeling like you're just in a playground. Like you never, and for me, like being a person who was not part of this world, who was working a day job to the day I got that part. I actually, after I found out I got that part, I went straight back to work and like just answered emails because I was like so confused. <laughs> and being a person that was that fish out of water to go on a set and feel comfortable and feel able to play was absolutely, I credit all of that to Ryan and Ram and their ability to foster an environment where, you know, people feel safe. None of that yeah. surprises me. I guess on the uh, Ryan and Ram topic, I mean, everyone's in Knives Out too at this point, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is in Knives Out. I cannot wait to see Knives Out too. I'm, I'm so excited for them. Um, I'm so excited for them. So linking now Last Jedi to Rise, I do have to ask, after making Last Jedi and finishing shooting that film, what were your expectations for Rose in the series going forward? And how did they compare to what we actually got? Because I'm sure you've heard this time and time again, but I am very much of the belief that the amount of Rose we got in Rise of Skywalker was just, I mean, it was flat out absurd. <laughs> um, it's hard. You know, I think as an actor, you don't really, uh, you don't really have control over what is happening in a narrative, if that makes sense. Um, and I think, you know, as an actor and as an individual, I always try to take my expectations out of a situation because I also want to, as much as possible, try and be present in experience. Um, I am really, really proud of the way that I've been able to sort of show up for myself um, during this whole journey. Because again, like if we're going through my, you know, my journey and my career, like I went from sketch comedy and doing improv and indie theaters to then doing Star Wars. And then from there doing, like it's nonsensical. It's miraculous, nonsensical, magical stuff that for me, <laughs> I just want people to know and believe that you might go through certain times in your life that are hard and difficult, but coming out on the other side of that and having your support group and, and being with people who believe in you um, there's nothing like it in the entire world. And I think for me, moving from, um, you know, the Star Wars experiences to then going to Raya has been absolutely miraculous. And Raya for me is about celebrating the parts of myself that as a child, I was taught that I should hide. And what a poetic healing experience that has been, yeah. I'm not at the Raya portion yet, but I just have to emphasize how special that movie is. I happen to have been re-watching it like right before we started filming and had to reapply all of my makeup because that ended, <laughs> like I've seen it, I think four or five times at this point and every single time at the end, it's just, it's not just like tearing up. It's like uncontrollably sobbing, but at the sight of seeing all, uh, not, I'm gonna stop there. So I don't spoil the movie for anyone, but I almost just blabbed about the ending. All right. One more like franchise type question for you before we leave Star Wars. In general, what is one thing that you experience while working on those movies that makes you say, I loved that. I hope to have that experience on more sets out there. And then what's something that makes you say, well, you know, maybe that wasn't exactly the way I wanted it to be, but now I can learn from that experience and I can do this with it in order to make my future projects even stronger. Yeah, uh, one thing that I loved was just the magic of it. Uh, being able to walk into different apartments and see how the fathers were being made and how every single strand of hair was being sewn into this creature or 
seeing the different sets that were being built, how everything was designed so meticulously, the costumes department, Michael Kaplan, who's a genius, like everything. I think the artistry of that is something that I want to take with me forever. Like even if I'm not on something that is as big and large as that, just the idea of making very meticulous, very specific, very conscious choices in every aspect of a film is something I want to take with me. Um, on the other side, something I don't want to take with me, um, I think the hardest thing about working on something that big is that you just don't really get to know every single person. Like in a perfect world, I would have loved to have a relationship with every gaffer and grip and every PA and, and every, you know, art department assistant and every, I, I would have loved that. And I think it's sort of the nature of something that large is there are going to be pieces moving in the machine that you never cross paths with. Um, so yeah, I think that's something in the future. I, 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 I would love to, to be in a world where um, everybody working on the same project gets to, to feel like they're all seen and, and, and loved and valued and um, known, I guess. I don't even know if that's possible, but I would love to. It should be. And maybe if it's not 100% possible right now, just having that idea in mind and working towards it is, is good enough for me at this point. Mm. Now, stepping into animation in general, I've just heard so many stories about folks uh, who are live action actors trying to break into voice acting. What, what was the key for you? What kind of started to get the ball rolling in that sector of the industry? I honestly think my improv background was the best thing because Crudes 2 was the first animated project that I got brought on to and I auditioned for it. Um, and I just remember improvising during the entire audition and it was just such a fun experience. Um, and then I auditioned for Raya and yeah, I think the freedom to play and, and to be honest in the moment, but also feel free to like being free to change the words. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think that I've been really, really lucky to work with so many incredible people. And also really, it's gonna sound crazy because when you're a struggling actor in LA, the last thing you wanna hear from someone who's in my position, a very privileged position, um, who's, you know, had this miraculous trajectory. Uh, the last thing you wanna hear is that, you know, your struggling years really teach you what you need to know. But I, I think that's absolutely true for me. It took me, I don't know, I think I started trying to get an agent in high school and no one wanted me. That was probably 2006 is when I started. And I was on set for Jedi in 2016. So it took me about 10 years. And all of those years of struggling of like going through acting classes and going to casting director workshops and doing the improv, like all of those skills are things that I use now. So, I think for me, getting into animation is sort of a culmination of a decade of work. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think I can see that reflected in your work in The Croods 2 and Raya also. Just to compare the description you gave of your Star Wars audition to your Raya audition, can you kind of paint that scene for us? What, what kind of sides are you given? What is it like interacting with the filmmakers or the casting director? How'd that go? Yeah. Um, well, the casting director, Jamie Roberts, who I'm such a huge fan of because she's cast every incredible Disney property. I just think she's so wonderful. Um, she really believed in me from the beginning. I think she is really, truly the only reason why I, I got to be Raya. She really believed in me. But 
yeah, there were, there was an initial meeting where I just sort of, I was told about the project and about the character. And then there was a couple auditions after that. Um, And it was a definitely different experience because yeah, you're not, you know, when you're auditioning for something like Star Wars and and it's like a live action thing, you're fully on camera. And at the last, during the last audition, it was like a camera test that had costumes and a set and everything in its entirety. Whereas for an animated project, you're sort of, you know, you got your headphones on and you're in a booth. (laughs) So it's a very different experience. Um, It was still pretty secretive. Uh, The sides did not have the character's actual name. And I think a lot of it too was in process. The, The story changes so much from the first time you're brought onto the project until it it sort of gets out into the world. Um, Which I think was different than episode eight because episode eight, uh, Ryan is such a genius. Like the script that that I read in 2015, 2016 is 97% of what you saw in the theater when it came out. an animation, I think, I, in my experience, is sort of constantly changing. And, and and they have the luxury of being able to work out a scene with the actors and then go back and animate. And if it didn't work, try it again. You don't have that luxury in live action. You can't really have, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't have enough money to be like, oh yeah, let me just shoot this scene and then go back and then shoot it again and then go back and shoot it. Like, yeah, it's just a different experience, but both equally, uh, equally, incredible and equally forced me to grow in ways that I didn't anticipate. With the changes that happen in mind, what would you say is the biggest difference between the first script you read for Raya and what we see in the final product? But something that's specific to you, something that you know is 100% you that would have been entirely different if anyone else had voiced that character. Yeah, I mean, I would say there is a specific scene with Raya that we basically improvised in the booth. And that is the prayer scene when she's in the cave and she sort of says a little incantation. And and I remember reading that scene and I remember really, I know the crazy thing is, is, you know, I'm telling you about this experience, like it was easy for me, but I remember in that moment being very afraid to ask if I could try something different. Um, And I remember feeling like I knew what it was like to be a character or to be a person in life. You know, at this point, Raya has traveled for six years and she is at the end of her rope and she doesn't know if any of this is going to lead to anything or if she's just wasted those years searching for this thing. And I remember asking if I could try something different because I remember what it felt like to be desperate. And I remember how... I acted in those moments and what it felt like to pray to a being, in this case, Raya's praying to Sisu, that you're not even sure exists, like you're just that desperate. Um, so yeah, that prayer scene was was absolutely improvised and it made it into the movie, which I just love. So one of our last sections here is a game we're calling Movie Dream Team. I've got three questions for you and we're gonna build a movie out of them. So first, can you pick a movie musical you would love to star in. What is that musical adaptation? And then we'll take it from there. Uh, honestly, I love so many musicals. Oh my gosh, I'm like getting nervous. <laughs> I won't hold you to it. This could be one of many. One of many, okay. One of many musicals that I would love to uh, star in. Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, so much, I like it. <laughs> I know, I care so much. I'm like, 
I really, really care a lot about this. Um, okay, I'm just gonna say, what should we say? I don't know. I care too much. What would you like to star in? Let's start there. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm a shit singer, so I wouldn't want to ruin any of my favorite musicals, but the, the first thing that came to mind when I was listening to your miscast, and also, because I think you need to work with John Chu is, is Wicked. <laughs> I would love, love nothing more. <laughs> okay. So we're going to, we're going to put you in the Wicked movie right now. Which role, <laughs> which role do you want to play in Wicked? Oh my gosh, you were like making me so nervous. <laughs> oh my gosh, why am I like crying right now? <laughs> I love musical theater so much. I'm so nervous. Um, <laughs> if I could play anyone, honestly, I would love to be both. <laughs> how about we do a, a book of like how I did Book of Mormon, but I would do both here. <laughs> honestly, sign me up for this movie. Here, this this next one might take some of the pressure off. Okay, you can bring three co-cast that you've worked with before to this wicked adaptation who do you bring who do i bring okay and who do you cast them as okay this is so good oscar isaac as fiero um <laughs> you're never gonna be able to unsee this oscar isaac as fiero um okay so i'm um okay who are the other characters Okay, I should I should pick one of the I should pick one of the female leads so I could put someone else in a in a female lead. Okay. Um I mean, I think Naomi Aki, I think the world of her. Oh Naomi Aki. Okay, Naomi Aki and I would play opposite each other. Not sure which character, maybe we'd switch off doing both. <laughs> Glinda and Elbaba, maybe. Um, and then someone else. Dare I say it? <laughs> Who would be the wizard? Who would be the wizard? I think Nicolas Cage might have to be the wizard. <laughs> I don't think this could have come out any better. <laughs> this is officially seared in my brain for life and I need Sear it. it. Sear it in your brain. Oh yeah. my God, that was brilliant. All right. <laughs> we have come to the end of Ladies Night. We always end with the same two questions. The first one is, Name someone who you think is changing this industry for the better. Carlos Lopez Estrada, who I just love so much. He directed me and Raya. He is directing this, or directed this movie, Summertime, that I'm executive producing that comes out this summer. And I think he's absolutely changing the world. Uh, this movie is about 25 different spoken word artists in Los Angeles, and they're all making their future film de debut. And, and we've talked so much about wanting to sort of pass the megaphone to historically marginalized communities and he's doing that and I just love and adore him so much and he's absolutely changing the world. Did you see me like want to explode when you brought up Summertime because I adore that movie. You I saw, summertime? I saw it at Sundance and you know when you go into a movie and you make some on like I just thought it wasn't going to be for me because in general I'm not exposed to a lot of spoken words so I'm like this is kind of different I don't know. I fell so hard for this cast they are incredible. Um, okay, let's talk about that for a sec because I've spent the past two months going through poetry workshops with this cast, um, with so many members of, and, and I am absolutely, fully, completely changed. I'm a, a, a new human. I don't want to explain it. I, they've inspired me to just be a braver and more honest artist. And um, the fact that you loved that movie and that you saw it, and that means so much to me.
It made such a huge impression. And for everyone out there, do keep an eye out for that movie. Last one for you. And this can be a heavy one, or you could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. What is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome? The biggest fear I've ever had that I've managed to overcome is truly just still existing in this world, I think, and working in this space. I think there was a time where I was afraid to be seen. And um, I'm really proud of all the work that I've done to still be here. You should be. You should be. You're awesome. I didn't even bring this up earlier, but we had met the first time during the last Jedi premiere party and you were just so incredibly like infectiously happy and warm and seriously like one of the best premiere encounters I've ever had and it's so memorable and I just love the vibes you put out in this industry. Please keep doing it. You are awesome for everyone out there. Keep an eye out for Raya and the Last Dragon. You can own it on Blu-ray right now. It's available. Go buy it and share it with your family, friends, everybody, because it's wonderful. Kelly, again, thank you for hanging out with us on Ladies' Night, and huge congratulations. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.